Jesus, hope for the nations. And I have seven points I'm going to bring to you this morning. As we begin thinking through God being our Father, I, I don't want to pass that by too quickly. You think God, the creator, the sustainer of the universe, the one who says, I'm going to give you life, not just for now, but for all eternity in heaven one day. I'm going to give you hope and joy and peace in this life, in the here and now, but also for tomorrow as well. That man, the God, the creator of the universe, says, I am your father. When you personalize that, that is an absolutely amazing statement. He says, I want to be your father. I've created you with a purpose. I have sustained your life. I've given you a reason. I've given you skills and abilities different from other people around you because I have a purpose for you for this life that's going to impact eternity. Whether it's great or small, God has a purpose and plan for your life as an individual. And I hope that makes you feel encouraged. The correct response to the fact of God is your father. That correct response is to say, yes, God, you are my father. That's the correct response. I mean, if I look at my children and go, I am your father, they go, no, you're not. Yes, <laughs> yes, I am your father. It doesn't really change the facts. God says, I am the creator and the sustainer of the universe, whether you believe it or not. And so therefore, our correct response is to say, yes, when God says, I am your father. Now, I want you to personalize that. In a sense, put your name in there for a moment. I am your father. As a father, there's a number of things that I want my children to know. There's a lot of very important things. I want them to know that they're loved. I want them to know how they're supposed to treat their mother. I, know, I want them to know how to live life and how to, to take care of things. I want them to know how to do the dishes. Uh, sooner rather than later. I want them to be people of great character. I want them to know and to love and to serve God. I want them to love their dad and take good care of him one day. Now, I want all these various things for my kids. And you have a long list of things that your family, you need to share and teach your children. God is a similar way. There's a number of things that God says and looks at you and says, there's things that I want you to know. There are things that you need to know in order to be successful in this life. In order to live this life properly, you need to know these things. We're going to look at seven different things that God says you, as an individual, need to know. Someone else cannot know this for you. You need to know this for yourself. And to know things is incredibly important. In the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verse 10, the writer Paul says that I may know him. That's talking about Jesus Christ that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. There's something powerful about when you know something to be true. Thinking of Father's Day, I don't want there to be any question in my children's mind that I am their father. I want them to know I am your father. You are loved. You're welcome in our home. <laughs> you're not a guest here. You are, you're part of our family. I want my kids to know that. God says, I want you to know certain things that we're going to look at this morning. As we do that, I want to begin by praying and asking God to work in our hearts to show us and to teach us what he wants us to teach us. So if I pray, I'm going to invite you to silently pray along with me in your mind, opening yourselves up, say, God, I'm ready to hear from you today.
Lord, as we open up your word, I thank you that you want us to know things. You're not hiding things from us, but you want us to know them. And therefore, you're revealing them through your word, the Bible. And Lord, I pray that we will come with an open heart, open mind, that we will listen and learn what you want us to know and, and do the things you want us to do so to be the people you want us to be. And in Jesus' name, amen. This week, and as every week, we have a principle for today. And our principle for today is this. God knows what I need. That goes for you too. God knows what you need and has told me what I need to know. How has he told us that? It's through the word of God, the Bible. And in, in this, this is the word of God, God's love letter to you and I. And through the Bible, he tells us where we came from. He tells us where we're going and he t- and gives us direction for every aspect of our life, how we can know the Savior and, and have a relationship with him. In the book of 1 John, chapter 5, verse 13, the man who's writing this book is a man named John, hence the name of the book. And he's an older man at this time, like a grandfather figure. And he's writing in other passages of of the book of 1 John. And he says, my little children. So he's looking at them saying, there's things that I want you to know. And verse number 13 gives us an indication and really a way that I often explain of how and why the Bible was written. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's believe in Jesus. And why does he write these things? that you may know that you have eternal life. Knowing that you have eternal life, knowing that there's a creator God that loves you and cares for you, has a plan and a purpose for your life, gives you a great deal of confidence. And it's not just for me and my family, it's for you too. So this morning we're going to look at seven different things that we can apply to our life and things that God says, I want you to know. And I hope that there's two things, there's a couple of different responses. Maybe you're learning this for the first time and you're looking at this and going, this is amazing. I need to know more. That's exactly why a local church is here, to help you grow and to develop. And if you need to to begin and be introduced to Jesus Christ for the very first time, we happily open up the word of God and to show you how you have a relationship with God. Also, another response is maybe you've heard these things before and you say, well, I've heard them before. There's a big difference between hearing something and actually knowing it. I don't want you to have to question these things anymore. Every single one of these seven points, we could preach an entire message series. You know, theologians have wrote, written volumes of books on each and every one of these points, and we're just going to scratch the surface. And the final response is the response of praise. Thank you, God, what I know about you. Thank you for who you are. So let's begin this morning. The first of the seven points is God wants you to know that you are are loved. God wants you to know that you are loved. The most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16. And John 3.16 is well quoted. But I want you to mold this over and actually process this in your own minds today. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved the world. That rolls off my tongue so quickly and easily. How does it make you feel to think that the creator of the universe not only knows who you are, he says, I love you. I'm pausing for awkward silence. 
because I want you to feel that and think through this for a moment. God loves you. That response to that fact changes absolutely everything. And to accept the fact that God, the creator of the universe, knows who you are and he still loves you. And he says, I not only love you, he says that for God so loved the world that he gave. And any time that love comes into our life, it always costs us something. And it costs God, his son Jesus, in his life. It's not, it doesn't say that you might be loved or you could be loved or you work really hard to be loved. Then you can earn the love. It says there that you are loved. God so loved the world. But God didn't create you and me in order to somehow complete him. You know, when my wife looks at me, she says, Michael, she flutters her, you know, flutters her eyelids, Michael, you complete me. And maybe your wives say that to you, or maybe they look at you like, <laughs> but my wife says, you complete me. God looks at us and goes, you do not complete me. I am already complete in who I am. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in, in the perfect unity of the Trinity are completely whole and complete in themselves. They did not need you and I to complete them. But God says, I am choosing to create you because I want to love you. Isn't that just amazing? And if you think it through it as, as parents, we, we have children. And yes, children are wonderful and they're joyful and they're but you know what? There's, they cost you a lot. And if you actually worked out the figures, like, you know, kids are expensive. Why would we have more than one? <laughs> you know, some of you are smart. You stopped at one. And you have multiple kids, and we love lots of kids. And, but you, you think through, they're expensive. They're going to cost you something. And there's a lot of pain and sleepless nights and up and changing and other things that you do with children. But you know what's wonderful? You go, it's tremendous because I love you and I wanted you because I want to love you. That's exactly what God looks at, it, but in a far more perfect sense. That changes absolutely everything when you know that you're loved. It gives you security. It gives you value. And moving on from this is that the fact that you and I are human and therefore we do human things like sin. And sin always separates us from our creator. It always separates us from God. And so God wants you to know not only are you loved, but God wants you to know because of your sin, you need a savior. God wants you to know that you need a savior. That, that verse, John 3, 16, continues on. After he says, for God so loved the world, he goes on and in verse 17 it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, then why did he come? But in order that the world might be saved through him. The entire reason why God sent Jesus was not to show us everything we've done wrong, but to redeem us and bring him back, us, us back into a perfect relationship with him. God knew who we were and who we would become before he created us. To be honest with you, I do not understand that. I do not understand why God would create us knowing that we would be in the sinful state that we are in, knowing the cost that it would cost him in order to send Jesus Christ to come to earth. But he said there, in order that the world might be saved through Jesus. It wasn't by mistake. He had planned it before the foundation of the world. He, he knew what he was going to do. 
thinking of Father's Day and looking at thinking of little children. You know, you think, remember back to your time when your children take their first steps, and maybe some of your children are about to take their first steps. And you look at them and you, you encourage them and you stand in front of them calling out their name and waiting for their arms to go out and take those, those first steps. And you know what's going to happen? They're, they're going to fall down. Now, I don't think any of you are parents that are this bad, okay? But hypothetically speaking, you imagine seeing your child take their first step, fall down, and you look at them, what's wrong with you, loser? Get up. What's wrong with you? Why did you fall down? Why aren't you taking your first steps? You know, don't you know how to do these things? And, of course, we know that kids need nappies. They don't do that right. They don't do a lot of things right. And you know, they don't sleep right. They, don't, they need to be comforted. They need to be fed. All these things they don't, do, don't know how to do. And, but you know it. You expect it. God knew that you and I were going to sin. And he still said, I love you. And I'm going to send a Savior to save you. No one is born perfect. We've all sinned. 1 John chapter number 2, verses 1 and 2. That same man we spoke of earlier that was writing as a grandfather, saying, my little children. He's saying this in this passage. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He's giving them instruction on how to live their life so that they can live without sin. In other words, they can live and know how to live correctly. But he goes on and says, but if anyone sins, that's another way of saying, but we know you're going to sin. I'm giving you direction, I'm giving you instruction on how to live your life correctly, but I know that you're going to do wrong. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. An advocate is a go-between with the Father. Who's that advocate? Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation is a word that's not commonly used at all. And in fact, it's a word that you cannot say slowly. Try it right now. Try to say propitiation. It just doesn't flow. You've got to say it fast. Propitiation. You've got to say it with confidence. And the word propitiation, to really make it very simple, isn't just the payment. It's the actual individual who is making the payment. Jesus Christ is the propitiation. He is in the act of and is, is the one who is making the payment for your sins and for my sins. A payment that you and I can never afford on our own. So he is the propitiation for our sins. And not ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. That changes our perspective as well. I'm grateful that God sent Jesus Christ to be my Savior I need a Savior, but it's not just for me. It's for you, too, and not just for you, for your neighbors, for everyone in Australia, everyone in the, in the entire world. God has a Savior for you. And that Savior is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse number 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He makes an exclusive statement. He doesn't say, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. And he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. God wants you to know that you're loved. God also wants you to know that you need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. That's the entire message theme of the theme we're working through this month. Jesus, hope for the nations. God wants you to know that you are loved, that you need a savior, but also that you are a masterpiece. Our society around us says you are valuable based upon what you can contribute. If you are, can somehow 
throw a ball, kick a ball really well, if you can hit something, if you can make money, if you can sing well, then you are important. But the, the Bible doesn't stay with us at all, that value system. God says, I'm looking at you as an individual masterpiece. In the book of Ephesians, chapter number 2, verse 10, it says, for we are his workmanship. Something I've been sharing with my, my children, particularly my daughters, as they're growing up and thinking through body image things and other things that, that are just wonderful with daughters. Quoting verses like, you are his workmanship. And I make statements like this, and maybe this is an encouragement for you today. God doesn't make junk. If God made you as an individual, he did not make a mistake when he made you. Now, you may look around you and think of others and think, well, I'm not as this as that person, or I'm not as that as they are, but God knew who you were, and he did not make a mistake when he made you. He made you as, as it says there, his workmanship. He created you with a purpose. He it says, created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Value is given to you by your creator. God is your creator. My favorite food is ice cream. And the, the good thing with ice cream is, is actually it's healthy because it's made from milk, which is a, a natural product, and you need calcium and other things in your body. And you put chocolate on it, it's made from a cocoa bean, which is, again, from a plant, so it's healthy for you. And if, if, you, if you eat strawberry ice cream, you're especially healthy. It's my favorite food. And I often ask my wife, Tammy, will you please stop buying ice cream? It's not good for you. And if it's in the house, I will eat it. And, but she knows what I really mean is, please buy more ice cream because I really want it. And so she does, and she puts it in the freezer, and then I, I'm obliged to eat it. And, and I eat it, and the, one of the wonderful things and the, the byproducts of eating ice cream, particularly when you eat brands of ice cream that we eat, you either get two liter or four liter plastic containers as, as a result. And those plastic containers are very handy, and I have a, a couple weeks supply of them underneath my underneath the sink in the in the kitchen and anytime we need to do anything that is of no real substance i have fish tanks and uh, i use them to clean out the fish tank and put things in if i cut them or break them it doesn't matter in fact i don't even apologize to anybody if i break one i just throw it away but there's other things around the house that have a story behind them that were belong to my wife's great-grandparents that if I was anywhere near the fish tank trying to put it in and clean it out with a fish tank, I would be in incredible trouble and probably be no longer married. Totally different value. Ice cream container? Who cares? There's another one or two where that came from. But this other stuff is valuable because of who owns it. Similar way with God and you. You may see yourself today as simply an ice cream container. You're, you are... You can be thrown away at any time. You have very little value. I mean, basically, you're glorified rubbish. But the way that God sees you is far different. He says, you are my workmanship. And God does not make junk. In the book of Psalms, chapter 139, verse 14, it says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. You think about what God has done in your life, how he's made you and created you. 
As parents, I'm thinking of that with Father's Day today, looking at my children and going, wow, I had a part in that. And particularly when you look at their physical features and you realize there's no denying paternity. <laughs> I cannot deny my children. I can see them. I can see their attributes. I can see the way they look. And you think, wow, I had a part of that. Can you imagine thinking of God, looking at you as an individual, saying, I love you. I sent Jesus to die on the cross so we can have a relationship because you are a masterpiece that I have great and grand plans for. That changes the way that you look at yourself as an individual. And God says, I want you to know that you are a masterpiece and I don't make junk. But because of our sin, God has had to make us new. And he has to make us new. And God wants you to know that he can make you new. You don't have to be the culmination of all your past failures, all your past mistakes. God says, I can come into your life and make you new. In the book of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it talks about becoming a new creation in Christ. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is, if you have an intimate and personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, he is a, what does it say there? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I like the way it looks like there. It says the old has passed away. The old is gone. You are no longer the old person that you used to be. You are no longer the culmination of all your sins and failures. You can remember them. But the Bible says in, in, in 1 John 1, 9, that if you confess your sins, he says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us or to make be made clean from all unrighteousness. You cannot forget your sin. I really wish we could. Wouldn't it be wonderful just to say, I'm forgiven by God. I have no memory of that sin, those emotional and physical scars that we sometimes carry because of our, our past failures. But God says, and this is the only thing that God can do, I've chosen to forget them. I've chosen to take them out of my memory completely. He says, I'm I'm cleansing you from all unrighteousness. And I'm making you a new creation. It says there, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now with that, that can be incredibly overwhelming. You just found out God loves you, that you need a savior. You're a masterpiece. You can be made, you need to be made new. And you go, how can I do that? Well, first of all, you cannot do that. And we certainly should not try to do that on our own. What we need is to understand that we are not alone. God wants you to know that you are not alone in this. I find that very comforting. For the most part, on the day-to-day life, I don't mind being by myself. You know, I don't mind being in my own thoughts. But there's many situations, particularly scary ones, you know, when thunder and lightning is around, that it's not nice to be by yourself. You want to be with somebody else. Well, in life, life is full of scary opportunities. And there's things that you, God knows that you cannot handle on your own, and you should not even try to handle on, on your own. So therefore, God says, I'm not going to leave you alone. In the book of Hebrews, chapter th- 13, verse 5, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe you need to commit that verse to memory when you feel like you're all by yourself. I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
a passage, a very encouraging passage of the Bible. When Jesus was speaking with his disciples in John chapter number 13, he had just told his disciples, I'm going to leave you. And the disciples say, well, you're not going to leave us. And you know, how are you going to leave us? And he began to, to comfort them. And one of the things he comforted, which we'll look at in a few moments' time, is eternity and heaven. The other thing he comforted them, them with was, was the Holy Spirit. He says, if I leave you, it's for your benefit because I'm going to send you the comforter. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you God himself to be with you. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to, is to seal your salvation, to make sure your salvation is genuine. He seals us. It's to convict us when we do wrong. In other words, remind us and show us when we're doing wrong so that we can do right. It's to reveal the truth of the word of God. The Bible says that he reveals all truth to us through the Holy Spirit. And we look at that and we think to ourselves, when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, when we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and we are never alone for a moment. This world is full of scary, scary things that I do not want to try by myself. And God says he knows that, so therefore we are never alone. Now, as a young man growing up, and maybe, ladies, you may not be able to relate to this, but this is definitely a young man feeling. You, you feel like yourself, I can do this myself. I am strong enough. I am smart enough. And it's a sad indictment on ourselves when we come out and we have to come back and say, no, I can't do this by myself. God says he knows that we can't do it by ourselves. So therefore, he says, I'm going to come along with you every step of the way. We don't want to be alone. So therefore, God says, I'm going to make you part of my family. He says, I want you to know that you can be part of God's family. You're a part of something bigger and greater than yourselves. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. We're just going to scratch the very surface of this tremendous truth. I love preaching on the adoption of God, how God has adopted us into his family. We are not second or third or fourth cousins. We're not some distant relative of God. He says, I want to bring you into my family and make you my children. And he uses the word adoption. And the beautiful thing with adoption is that he chooses to love us. It's not like you just showed up one day, like, I don't know what happened to you. You just you know, showed up in our family one day, and here you are. He says, I've adopted you. I've chosen to love you. I've chosen to bring you into my family. The beautiful thing with that is that with being part of God's family comes some privileges. Privileges that people that are not part of God's family are yet to enjoy. They're ready for them, but they're yet to enjoy. To illustrate that, I was thinking through my own family and inviting people over to our house. And when we invite people over to our house, we often try our very best to be hospitable and open. And we'll say things like, please come in, make yourself at home. Now, how many of you have said that? You know, make yourself at home. Do you really, really mean it? Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I want you to be comfortable while you're in my home. I mean that, you know, if you're hungry or thirsty, we'll happily help you and feed you. Yes, you, you, know, you can make yourself comfortable there. But when I say make yourself at home, I want you to go home eventually. You know, I don't expect you to like, you know, it's, it's 11 o'clock at night. You know, 
you came for lunch. And, you know, I don't expect you to go into my bedroom and, and hop into the bed and, you know, help yourself to my clothes. You are welcome. We want to be hospitable. But when we say make yourself at home, we really mean make yourself comfortable, then go home. I'm not looking at anyone individual. You know, there's, no thing, there's no one in particular. But there's a privilege about being part of God's family when we are home. He says, I don't want you to feel like you're a guest in my home, a guest part of my family. I want you to know that you are here and you are secure when you are here. Not only do we have a privilege, we also have a responsibility. Over the course of this month, we're going to be talking about and challenging our church as a whole to, to begin asking God, God, what part do you want me as an individual and my family to have in world missions in the next 12 months? And begin praying and saying, God, what do you want me to do? Not what you want someone else to do. What do you want me to do? And we as a church, we support several missions ministries. We support the Paneros, which are in Vanuatu. We support the Moors who, who do discipleship. And in fact, Jim Moore is going to be leaving the end of this month, going to Nepal and to India and, and teaching in some Bible colleges there and training people. We support them. And we do that through your faithful giving. And what we ask for people is that responsibility. It's because God has done this in my life, I want someone else to know this as well. And money is, and finances is a great way to help with that. We ask you to pray. We ask you to, to go if God wants you to go. But also, we want you to, to be able to financially give. And the way we budget that is that we ask our church to make annual commitments so that we know how much we can give. There's no use us as, as leadership saying, we're going to support them this much. And then everyone in the church goes, no, we want to support them this much. Or the other way around. And so we do that for budgeting. At the end of the month, we'll be receiving those commitment cards and celebrating what God's going to do in our church over the next 12 months. We'll be celebrating what he's done through our church in the last 12 months. But we do that because we are part of God's family and we accomplish so much more together. God wants you to know that you're not alone. God wants you to know that you are part of God's family. And God wants you to know that you can have a home in heaven. In John chapter 14, Verses 1 through 3, Jesus had just told his disciples he's going to be leaving them. His disciples were distraught. He later on tells them he's going to send the Holy Spirit, but he comforts them with these words. Let not your hearts be troubled. He's talking to 12 burly men. Let not your hearts be troubled. They were obviously distraught. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Some Bibles translate that many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. Why? That where I am, you may be also. He says there, the Bible says here, this very moment, God is in heaven. Jesus is there and Jesus is preparing a place for you and for me. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 verse 9 talks about that and it talks about the fact that our minds and our comprehension of of true reality is so limited we have absolutely no idea and no true comprehension about the things that god has planned for us in other words you think it's going to be good no we are just we can't even comprehend it and it says i has not seen nor ear heard nor it entered into the heart of man in other words you haven't even comprehended 
the things that he has for us. Now, in my mind, I, in humanly speaking, I think about all these incredible things, being in the very presence of God and being able to, to worship God. And in, in just the fact that we're in the very presence of God is a wow. I have no idea what that emotion feels like. I can only think of what our world is going to look like in 50 years' time with technology and other things. I mean, we're supposed to be having flying cars by now, so we're already behind. And you think about all the technology and the, the way our world's going to change and the fact that we couldn't even foresee the changes that we're experiencing now uh, 50 years ago. Could you imagine what our world's going to be like in 50 more years' time? In a similar way, we haven't even comprehended what heaven's going to look like, but we do have a little snippet of heaven. We read the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter number 19 talks about a great choir that comes together singing to God. And this, the first song that we began the service with used the words hallelujah. And hallelujah is a word that means God be praised. And that's a word that we're going to use in heaven one day, singing about God. In Revelation 19, verses 6 and 7, it says, Then I heard the sound of a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting. So it was a huge choir of us singing in heaven one day, Hallelujah, or God be praised, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. One day you have heaven to look forward to. Our life here on earth, as the Bible describes, is but a vapor. It's here for a short time and gone. And heaven and eternity is the forever that we can't even comprehend. We have something to look forward to. It all comes back because you are loved. God wants you to know you're loved. God wants you to know that you need a Savior. God wants you to know that you are a masterpiece, that you can be made new, that you're not alone, that you, can be, you are part of God's family, and that you can have a home in heaven. Now, we went through these really quickly. We have we've not done any of them true justice this morning. But how does it make you feel to know something new or more about God? I hope it's an encouragement to you. If you want to do more, you would like to know more, that's why we're here as a church. We want to come alongside you and help you to grow and to develop. We are here. We want to take you through God's word and help you know that. And if you allow us the honor of that, a great way to communicate with us, if you're not able to talk with us today, is you have a connection card, fill that on your connection card, and, and we'll be in touch with you through the week and find out how we can come alongside you and help you and help you to grow. Because we don't want you to leave the same way you arrived. We want to help you to grow and to develop and be the people that God created you to be. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand, and then we're going to pray. And as I pray, I'm going to pray a closing prayer, but I want you to make it personal. And I want you to pray and say, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for being my Savior. Thank you for making me a masterpiece. Thank you for making me new. Thank you that I'm never alone. Thank you that I'm part of your family. Thank you that... I have a home to look forward to in heaven one day. Let's pray together. Why don't you stand with me? Lord, I thank you that you have given us far more than we deserve. We as a local church have an incredible responsibility of coming alongside people and helping them grow and to develop. And even with that, you don't leave us alone. You've given us your love letter of the Bible. And Lord, as we go out this week, because we know the things that you want us to know, we could go out and do the things you want us to do. And Lord, I pray we will be faithful with that. 
we as individuals will go out and live lives that are different as a result. And Lord, I pray that someone here today that has yet to place their trust upon you, that today will be that day, and that today will be the day that we, we celebrate another person coming into a relationship with you. And in Jesus' name, amen.